Hey church, welcome home, whether this is your first day, first time watching, or maybe your third decade with us, this can be home for you. Hope you had a fantastic Easter break. We said goodbye to our daughter, Taya, yesterday as she went back to her university uh, digs, and uh, we just had a fantastic couple of weeks break as a family, lots of walks, lots of meals together, and it's been so good for us. And I know over, over your side that uh, the, the Good Friday live streaming was a, a, an immense day for everyone. So many good reports coming back from people who enjoyed that being, being in the room, even though we were online. But also, I heard that the Kids Church Easter egg hunt went really, really well as well. And I'm just hoping that uh, that John Ravichanda didn't gather up all the eggs before our kid, kids managed to get to them. But uh, you know what I'm talking about, John. But today, we're actually starting a new series. And I really pray and hope that the last few series that we've done have been not just useful, but helped you change maybe your mindset, change how you do life. You know, we haven't moved out of the, uh, the, the yearly focus, which is as one and also everyone. But we're, we're looking at a few different issues and the new series that we're talking about from this moment, from this week, for the next few weeks is called Walls. And I wanna look at some of the different things that have been, have been put up, uh, but also maybe we have put up ourselves. And that's, this series I really believe is for those of us that have been on the road a while, but maybe even it can be for those that have not yet stepped across the line to say, this Jesus that you're talking about, I want to make him my Lord. And, uh, and so it, I believe that it can encompass every single one of us as we look at some of the issues and some of the walls that have been put up to stop us entering in and that we put up ourselves as well. So if you're ready to get into this, let's pray before we start. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you Lord that, uh, Lord, that you are here. And even though I'm preaching this a few days before God, you're still with us online as we gather together as your church. I pray, as I do every single week, I pray for those that don't know you yet, that, that may be watching. Uh, God, I pray that you will draw them to yourself, that you will draw them to yourself first, but also into your community as well. I pray for those of us that have been on the way a bit longer. Lord, I pray that this series will help us move into everything that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So welcome to this series called Walls. Now, I, I'm not making any political statement about that, but over the past four or five years, we've heard a lot about walls, haven't we? Walls being put up to keep people out. Walls actually have a purpose. They have a purpose of keeping people out. I'm in my bedroom at the moment surrounded by walls, but outside, you probably can't hear it, but outside the wind shoots up the valley and it batters the back of our house. And I am so thankful that the walls that we have keep the wind out. But we also have walls to keep what is inside inside as well. Prison walls are to hold people inside and city walls are often built to keep people outside of that city, to keep the people inside safe and to keep the, the people outside away from coming into the city and disrupting the city itself. I remember, I remember my first time, let me 
really reiterate this, visiting a prison. I wasn't sent to prison apart from my boss, being sent by my boss to do a job. I was a social worker and uh, I went to visit one of my clients in prison. And I remember distinctly that first time of walking up to the walls and the walls were huge, enormous walls with great a great bulbous top uh, on them so that people couldn't climb over. And I went through so many gates, so many locked, uh, locked doors. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you've never been in a prison, you may think, well, they've got a cushy life inside. But you see, when I walk through that first set of doors, I knew that there was no getting out of there except for the past that I had and the person that I was with. You know, my freedom was gone. That When I walked through the doors, when I walked, you know, past the walls, through the doors, past one set of locked doors, through another, through another, my freedom was gone. My capacity for decision-making was gone as well. My agency for control of my own life was taken away at that time. Every door that I walked through was unlocked so I could get through it and then locked behind me. Essentially, I was trapped inside that prison and I was subject to someone else taking me through and letting me out. I needed to be let out by someone else. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that at times in your life. There's walls around you, locked doors that, that only other people can let you through. You feel you've lost all agency of control in your life at times. Really, in, in essence, that's what I want to talk about over the next few weeks with a, a few of the other speakers that we have looking at some of the, the different issues. And maybe some of the walls you have created yourself to keep yourself safe. Maybe you felt like I need to be a city. I need to be safe from what's going on out there. Or maybe you feel like you're in a prison and you're excluded from what's going on on the outside. And so over the, the next few weeks, I want to talk about some of those walls that we have. And, and some of them, are, I guess, are, are quite heightened in, in our society at the moment. And I want to look at maybe a biblical or not maybe I want, I want to look at a biblical aspect of those things. Gender being one of them, race and ethnicity, our personality, our past, what we've done or what's been done to us, mental health issues, labels that have been put on us or we've put on ourselves, our functioning. And I'm particularly thinking of things like Asperger's and ADHD and OCD and things like that, that, that either impact our functioning positively or negatively. But today, I'm not going to get into those things. I want to talk about the wall of doubt. I want to reassure you that the issues that you face, the walls that, that are there, are possibly not going to disappear as we talk about them. But what I want to say is that they don't have to be walls anymore. Walls to stepping into relationship with Jesus, if you've never done that before, or maybe you're, you've done that and, and walked away and you're thinking, will I be accepted back into this church? Walls to stepping into church community. Walls to fulfilling God's purpose for your life. There's a, there's a strange verse, and it doesn't seem strange when you first read it. And if you've been a Christian, you've probably heard this over and over again. But as you begin to think about it and, and dissect this short little verse, it, it actually is quite strange. It's Galatians 5, uh, 5 verse 1. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's the, when you think about that, it's like, well, of course it is. Why didn't you just say, why doesn't Paul just say Christ has set us free? But it goes on and it says this, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, of course, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. But you see, when you look at this, this, uh, the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, when you read it in context, there was a certain group of people. And, and at that time, it was a, a Jewish group of people and they were believers. But what they were saying was, you have to obey Jewish laws to be part of this group, to be to be part of the group that we now called followers of Christ or Christians. And they were saying you have to obey the Jewish laws of circumcision and, and dietary, uh, dietary laws and things like that. And Paul is saying here, actually, no, that's not true. Christ has set you free so that you can be free. Jesus had paid for their freedom with his death on the cross. And essentially it's saying, why are you sitting inside the prison cell with the doors open? And so that's that's the thinking of the verse or that I guess the the staple verse that I've been uh, come up with this series. And, and we're going to think about that. It was for freedom that Christ has set us, set us free. He set us free. But many of us are still sitting inside prison, prison cells of our own making or our own choosing or of other people's making. See, everything is is changing so rapidly in the world at the moment. But in fact, we actually live, if you think about it, we live more and more in a world of certainty. I'm going to say a few phrases and you might find yourself getting angry at one or two of them. And, and if you do, it's not necessarily wrong. It just means that you've lived in a, in a certainty of this phrase. Trump is a bad man. Trump is God's man for the moment. Not being in a crowded place of worship is the most sensible course of action for the church. We should never be stopped from gathering as the church to worship Jesus. Beyonce is like a female God. She can do no wrong. Beyonce is completely talentless and is a, and is a terrible role model for our teenage girls. If you question unrestricted immigration, you are a racist bigot. If you support immigration, you don't care about the financial health of this country. If you vote conservative, you are a poverty-inducing, people-hating bigot. If you vote liberal, you are anti-Semitic, anti-business communist who loves terrorists. You see, because of our uncertainty with the changes that are happening around us, the, the fast pace of technology and all sorts of things, we, we now seem to live in boxes that we create, that help us create certainty in an ever-changing world. The problem is, is that the world demands the church thinks and acts like the world does, but then the church demands that the world thinks and acts like the church does. And so we've created standoffs. We love, I love the cowboy movies, the Sons of Katie Elder and all of those old cowboy movies, you know, a Gunfight at the OK Corral. And it comes down to two people staring each other out. The standoff, who's going to win? 
We have the modern day, don't we? The MMA octagon, two men enter, one man leave. See, we've now changed it on Twitter and social media and in, in our mainstream media to two points enter, one viewpoint leave. We live in a certain world and we want to make sure that everyone else lives by our certainty. We, we've become a, a polarised, divided society, a society that lives within our own walls. And the reality is I don't know that we're any worse than we have been before. I, I, I can't tell. I haven't done research, but I, I, I don't believe that we're much worse. What I do know is, is that social media and mainstream media, Internet, our access to information has allowed us to, to create those walls for other people and make our views much more widely known. We have so many forums to voice our opinions. The US elections are a great example of what we are experiencing in so many other areas. As I said, you know, if you side with Trump, you're a gun loving, racist, misogynistic bigot. If you side with Biden, you're a baby killing uh, country and military hating communist. There's no there's no nuances. There's no there's no subtleties. There's no living in the gray. There's no standing alongside other people who live in their certainty saying, yeah, I can agree with you in that area, but maybe disagree with you in this area. We live within our certainties. And so despite all the changes that are happening around us, we live in a certain world. And you may already be asking, well, what on earth has that got to do with Jesus? What has that got to do with us here in our church? You see, what I'm talking about and what I want to get into is actually nothing to do with politics, but it has everything to do with our worldview and how we view our relationship with Jesus. If everything is certain, if everything is boxed, what happens if I have doubts? What happens in my life? Can I have doubts in this church? And maybe some of you have been asking that question. Is this a place where I can voice my doubts or do I just have to toe the line over and over again and not be able to talk through what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking? You see, doubt is defined as a feeling of not being certain about something, especially about how good or true it is. And so if the world is colored in black and white, what happens when I have to live in the grey? Or what happens when I'm thinking through those grey moments? Does my doubt create a wall that excludes me from this place, from circle? Is, you know, not just from the church, I want to personalise it. Does your doubt, does my doubt exclude me from being fully part of our circle community? Does my doubt exclude me from stepping in and staying in Christianity? And so I have to ask myself, which side of the wall can I choose? And if I ask myself the question, how do I really, really know if God exists? Which side of the wall do I now sit on? You see, unfortunately, historically, the church, we, the church, haven't particularly dealt well with people's doubts. We've, we've actually succumbed to societal perspective of no questions. If you ask questions, you are the other side of the wall. So what questions or doubts do we have? 
And maybe you resonate with one or two of these. And maybe even if you've been on the on the way, on the journey a while, you still have some of these doubts. Some of them still flick through your mind. And maybe you're the other side of the line. You haven't entered that relationship with Jesus yet. And you're thinking, I've got all of these doubts. Is this a place where I can talk about them? Is this a place where I can ask? Or do I have to be certain of everything to step across the line? So what questions do you have? Is God real? Is Jesus real? Did he really come back to life? How can we trust that the Bible is true? In fact, how, how can we know that, that a book that was completed over 2,000 or about 2,000 years ago, can it still be relevant for us today? Is all religion just about brainwashing and a crutch for the weak? Do I need church in my life? If God is real, why would he care about me? And if God is real, why is there so much suffering and pain in the world? See, all of these questions are real and they are valid. And I fully believe they should be asked. And they do not have to create the walls that exclude or the walls that hem us in. See, I'm not going to deal with the doubt, the questions of doubt. What I want to deal with is, is this a safe place for us to voice our doubts, for us to talk about our doubts? And here is the certain truth. You may look at other people and think, surely not them. But here is the certain truth. We all face doubts. You're not alone. Most people who stepped into relationship with Jesus had doubts about certain aspects of our belief systems before they stepped into it. And, even, and those of us that are, that are part of this community have doubts as well. They go through our mind and we have to deal with those as we continue our walk with Jesus. I want to, and this is probably more for the Christians that are listening. Maybe some of you will have heard of these. But here are some of the Christians that who, who have dealt with the walls of doubt. C.S. Lewis, most people have heard of C.S. Lewis's books, the Narnia Chronicles and things like that, dealt with doubt. Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. Beth Moore, who's an incredible uh, woman preacher at the moment. Martin Luther. Catherine Booth, many of you will have heard of the Salvation Army. Well, Catherine Booth and her husband uh, started the Salvation Army, dealt with doubts. John Calvin, Joyce Meyer and John Cook. You see, we all have doubts at certain stages of our life. And it's not like, oh, yeah, I've dealt with all of them. I can just move on. No, there's times when we actually re-go re re through, when we actually come to those doubts again and we have to learn how to deal with them. All the heroes of the Bible, those that we, we read about and think, wow, they're amazing. Look at what they accomplished. They all had their doubts. The Bible highlights Abraham as the height of faith in the, in the New Testament book, Hebrews. Yet he continually, continually had doubts and he, his actions came from those doubts, doubts that he would have a son with his wife, Sarah. So he's and, and this is inconceivable in today's society, in church even. He sleeps with his servant because he doubts that God's promise for him to have a son is through his wife. Yet he does eventually. 
He had he had doubts that God would keep him safe. So he pretended his wife was his sister and places her in danger because of that. David, King David, the Goliath slayer, the giant slayer, had doubts about God. Job, who wrote a, a, an incredible book and, and went through amazing trials, had doubts. Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness and to the edge of the promised land, had doubts. Peter, we know Peter. We know Peter because he just talked about everything, didn't he? He had doubts. You know, and, and when you read the Psalms, those beautiful songs, beautiful poetry, it's estimated that half the Psalms are Psalms that deal with doubt. So can you face your wall of doubt? People can say it sometimes say to Christians, oh, I wish I had your faith. I wonder what they're saying. Are they saying, I wish I was as stupid as you to believe something for which there is no evidence? Or maybe... I wish my life was founded on something that cannot be shaken by tr prevailing trends or opinion. I would say that there cannot be true faith without doubt. But, but let me read James. James 1, 2 to 6 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. See that when you read that, you sort of think, I'm not allowed to doubt. I can't doubt. But then you also have to think, how do you test faith? How do you actually test the faith that we've had? See, it's been said that the testing of faith is when it's placed against doubt. How do you know that you have faith? Because you test it against your doubts. When you test a, a strong piece of metal, you test it to failure. Os Guinness, who's a, an amazing author and Christian apologist, wrote this. He said, if ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith grows stronger. It knows God more certainly and it, and it can enjoy God more deeply. So Os Guinness I, and I've listened to him and I've read some of his stuff. He is a very smart guy. He's saying, my faith is certain and I love God deeply because I've tested it against the doubts that I've had. I want to talk just briefly for a couple of minutes about two types of people. Sorry, two people who had two different types of doubt. There's the evidential doubt or intellectual doubt, if you want it. People say, where's the evidence of that? Where's, where's the evidence this, this, that this new lockdown will work? Where's the evidence that these vaccines will work? And, and we're thinking about that. We're thinking about the facts of the situation that will aid in our belief or unbelief. We're told, aren't we, that everything must be scientifically proven, except for the fact that 
that statement itself hasn't been scientifically proven, but I'll leave that one for you to think about. So there's evidential doubt. Where's the facts? Where's the science for that? But then there's circumstantial doubt. I know what I want to believe or what I believe, but my situation is causing me to doubt when we think in terms of Christianity. I believe in healing, but I'm not being healed. I believe in love, but I feel unloved. I believe in being whole, but I'm still knowing depression. I know that God is my provider, but I've just lost my job. You tell me God is love, but I see such little evidence of God, in, of love in this world. So the two people that I want to talk about just for a couple of moments are two, two New Testament men. One who's famous for his doubts, and you'll probably know as soon as I've said that, oh yeah, he's going to talk about Thomas. But there's another one that we never really associate with doubting, but he did. So Thomas was famously and is famously known as Doubting Thomas. And there's one incident, imagine this, there's one incident in your life and you bear that label for the rest of your life. Have you ever looked back and, and, and maybe looked at one incident and think, if I was known for that, for the rest of my life, it would be horrible. Well, that's doubting Thomas, isn't it? I wonder if, I wonder if Thomas ever had a word with John who wrote about this situation. Like, hey, mate, can we just talk about this? Because this doesn't put me in a good light. But John 20, 24 says this. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And this was after Jesus's death and resurrection. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I wonder, I wonder why Thomas wasn't with the disciples the first time Jesus appeared to him. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was doubt that was in his head. See, faith is not about having all the evidence. I could say, in my hand right now, I have two pounds. I know we work in dollars in Canada, but I'm still in the UK and I couldn't get hold of two dollars. But if I, if I say to you, in my hand, I have two dollars. Now, if you believe me now, that's faith. And often faith is about knowing, well, I know that person and they wouldn't lie to me. So I'm going to believe what they say now. But once I show you, yep, there's the two pound. I had that in my hand. That's no longer faith. That's just fact. Faith is not about fact or knowledge. Jesus is saying you believe because you trust me and have seen the evidence that I would not lie to you. Thomas wanted all the information. See, in verse 27 there, Jesus says to Thomas, make a choice. Stop doubting and believe. See, doubt is not unbelief. It is, I believe, but I'm having difficulties in stepping into full belief. 
The truth was outside of his experience. The truth that Jesus had raised from the dead was outside of anyone's experience. Jesus came to Thomas at his level. I love the fact that he didn't rebuke him. He didn't reject him. He didn't have a go at him. He realized that Thomas wanted to know for himself. And Jesus at that moment broke down the wall of Thomas's evidential doubt. Faith is about having the information and knowing what to do with it. You see, verse 28, Thomas took the information and he said, my Lord and my God. He knew what to do at that moment. He knew with the evidence that he was faced with that Jesus needed to be his Lord and his God. But here's the second one. And this second person is not someone we associate with doubting. But the reality is he doubted as much as Thomas did. This person is called John the Baptist. He was called John the Baptist because he went about baptizing people. And and he was the one whose purpose was to declare that Jesus was coming and that Jesus was Lord. He was actually related to Jesus, Jesus's second cousin. And Luke 1 verse 14 says this, it tells us that John leapt in his mother's womb when, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to visit. He actually baptized Jesus and he saw the Holy Spirit coming down onto Jesus like a dove. So he had all this evidence about Jesus. He had the, the facts in front of him and he still doubted. You see, for him, it wasn't the facts for him was John was in prison. And we know from this account that John actually didn't get out of prison, but he was, he was, his circumstances showed that maybe things weren't as they should have been. He was facing death and the doubts began to assault his mind. Matthew 11 says this, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. John's saying to Jesus at that moment, are you really who I thought you were supposed to be? Please, Please tell me that I haven't been wrong all this time. You see, John had seen what Jesus had done already. He knew what was going on, but his circumstances were causing him to doubt. It wasn't evidential doubt. It was circumstantial doubt that John was facing. Two people that were so close to the living, breathing, healing, demon casting out Jesus, yet both of them had their doubts. So what did Jesus do with their doubts? See, Jesus broke through Thomas's doubts. We framed him as, as doubting Thomas, but Jesus just simply presented him with the evidence. He presented Thomas, Thomas with what he needed. And then at that moment, he recognized Jesus and declared him in the same way that Peter did. My Lord and my God. Peter made his declaration. He said, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Thomas pretty much did the same at that moment. My Lord, my God. What, what Peter took was a, hey, this is what I say you are. Thomas went and he said, you are my Lord and my God. My friend Alistair McNally, who is a, a Bible teacher, he said, he said this, imagine 
Imagine reframing Thomas as declaring Thomas, not just that one moment of doubt that Thomas had, but taking a different moment and, and reframing him and renaming him, declaring Thomas. You see, Thomas went on to, be one, to become one of the greatest missionaries that the world has ever known. He took the gospel east and he went east to India. And there are still there's still moments that, that shrines and 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 uh, and examples of what Thomas brought to India to this day. Imagine if we began to call him Thomas the declarer, not Thomas the doubter. John faced death and doubted. Jesus again answered with evidence, but he also answered with gentleness and understanding. And when we face doubts in this church, in our church, when or when other people are facing doubts, when other people are questioning, do we do what Jesus did? Hey, here's the evidence. Let's sit and talk about it. Let's look at it. Let's look with gentleness and kindness and understanding because we are all in that position at different times. Jesus didn't humiliate Thomas or John when they doubted. In fact, He said of John, I tell the truth, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Both men came to Jesus with their doubts and fears. He offered them evidence. He said, you can trust me. Jesus didn't collapse their walls of doubt in on them. He dismantled their walls of doubt so they could be free. It was for freedom that Christ had set them free. So what do you do? What do we do with our doubts? Do we feed them or do we starve them? You see, we do have a choice with our doubts. We do have control over our minds. We can make a decision not to believe even in the face of the, ev- even in face of the evidence. John 12 says this, 1237, even after Jesus had done all those miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. Some people don't just want evidence. They just choose not to believe. There is a will to believe or a will not to believe. We make a choice where we direct our thinking. Abraham trusted God above his doubts. He kept going. And so what questions are you asking? What doubts do you have? Those that confirm your unbelief or those that confirm your belief. John the Baptist went to the source. He went to Jesus and said, are you really the one? Do we go to Jesus? You see what Thomas did? Thomas placed himself back in the community where Jesus was. He didn't. Yes, he went to Jesus, but actually Jesus came to him. But he was among the disciples. He was in the community. So do we in our day and age go to the word of God to place our doubts against the word of God? And do we place ourselves within church community where our doubts can be answered? Do we struggle with it? Gary Parker, who is a a biologist and a theologian, says this, if faith never encounters doubt, if truth never struggles with error, if good never battles with with evil, how can faith know its own power? In my own pilgrimage, I have have to choose between a faith that that has stared doubt in the eye and made it blink or a naive faith that has never known the firing line of doubt. I will choose the former every time. So do you really think that God worries about our doubt? Do you think he gets annoyed with our questions? Does Jesus say we need to have faith like a child? Interesting statement that, isn't it? Because a child will always say, why? 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 
always coming back with questions. Their faith is simple, but they question everything. So if Jesus is saying you need to have you need to have faith, an attitude of faith like a child, it's okay to question. If Jesus can't deal with our doubt, then faith in him, I would say, is not worth it. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anxiety and cares can be things that divide and distract us, doubt in other terms. So what are we asked to do with them? We're asked to cast them, to hand them over. He doesn't humiliate you because of your doubt and therefore we as circle will not humiliate you either. We all face the walls of doubt at different stages of our life, journey of faith, either journey into faith or journey of faith. Faith is not a lack of doubt. Faith is trusting in who we know God to be. His word shows his character. He's proved himself to me in the past. And your praise report at different times can be what causes someone to trust God in their circumstances. Never doubt that your story in God's story has power. Everyone is a soul winner and your story is needed. Judges 2.10 is one of the verses that sort of drives me. It says that after Joshua and his generation died, there arose another generation that neither knew God nor knew his works. You see, we need to make sure that we're telling people of what God has done in our life because people can put their doubts against that evidence. Faith is the overcoming of doubt. And like Thomas making the and then like Thomas making the declaration, my Lord and my God. In a world that loves certainties, isn't it good to know that God deals with us as we are and where we are in our journey of doubt and faith? You see, we can be full of doubt, seeing, seeing the grey in the black and white world. You see, when you have your doubts, we as leaders, as staff, as the board, as team, say this church is the best place to be. Why? Because we've all experienced those doubts at different stages of our own life as well. But I want to finish this before I pray with you. And I want to finish with... A scripture that King David, one of the probably the most famous king in Israelite history, wrote. And he sang this as well as he as he as he faced his own doubts of uncertainty. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you, you don't cast us aside when we have doubts. You don't humiliate us. You don't rebuke us. But you bring us to yourself. You bring us to yourself with kindness, with love and with understanding. And I thank you for that, God. I pray for those people that are right at this moment, are, are so caught up in doubt that they don't know what to do. God, I pray that this will maybe have opened the prison door just a bit wider so that they can deal with some of those things within community and within your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, I'd love to just take a few moments to invite those of you that have never crossed that line of making Jesus your Lord, becoming a follower of Christ. There's so many different ways that we use to describe it, but you've never made that decision to say, this Jesus, I want to know him. 
I'd love the privilege of praying a, a, a small prayer with you in a few moments. And I want to invite you into that place where you're able to say yes to Jesus, yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness. And for you, maybe some of the things that I've talked about, the doubts, maybe they, they're your doubts. But you can step across the line with those doubts, carrying those doubts, and Jesus will deal with them. We as the church will help you deal with them. Or maybe you're here and you've, maybe because of doubts, you've stepped out of community. You've stepped out of that place of relationship and family with Jesus. But if you're watching right at this moment, I want you to know that you are welcome here. This is your home. Welcome home. Come back to the place. Bring your doubts again with you. Or you're a younger person and you're in that faith relationship with God through your parents, through your family, through church. And, you're, and God is saying to you right now, hey, come home. I want my relationship with you individually, not just with your family. And so in a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and I'd love to be able to pray with you uh, to, if you're stepping into that place of relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now and I give you my life. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that I have to say yes to you. Thank you for this opportunity that I can come home. I ask for forgiveness of my sin and I ask to be part of your family. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, if you said yes, there's a couple of things. Firstly, I want you to know that everyone is celebrating with you. We may not even know that you're doing it, but we are celebrating with you to, because you've said yes to Jesus, whether that's for the first time or the fact that you're coming back into family. Also, if you're following the chat right now, one of the things you can do is on the on the chat facility, there's a little button there that says, I've come home to Jesus. I want to raise my hand. Why don't you hit that and uh, you'll be taken through to one of the team and they'll have the opportunity to talk with you and connect with you because we'd love to put a, a New Testament in your hand. And to do that, we actually need to know who you are and to be able to connect with you. And so you can do that right now. And then just a couple of things that I, I, I guess give you advice. Go out and tell someone. Tell someone that you've made this decision, either for the first time or are coming back into family to say, I've done this because it, it establishes it in you when you verbalize it and you never know what it will do in someone else. But the next thing is keep turning up. Like Thomas, he placed himself back in community, back with the other disciples. And so when you face those doubts, not just the worst moments, but the best moments as well, place yourself, keep placing yourself in community. Hey. I hope, you've, uh, I hope this has helped you and we're going to continue with this series and look at other issues that we face as followers of Christ, but also before we make that decision as well. And uh, so keep coming back and I'm going to hand back to the guys in Saskatoon right now. Take care. Have a blessed week.